Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to begin in a very familiar passage of Scripture for most of us. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. And I want to talk to you today about a recipe for victory. Now, it is Super Bowl Sunday. It is the one Sunday a year that ministers who are sports fans get the permission to give sports analogies in their messages. If you're not a sports fan, then I think there's going to be some things here that you can receive as well. You don't have to be a sports fan to to pick up on what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak into our hearts today. Doesn't matter what team you root for, I, I know that Evelyn is all decked out. We know what team she's rooting for today. If you had not seen her, make sure you say hello on the way out and you'll know who she's rooting for today. But I hope that you came in wearing your colors this morning too. Matter of fact, I hope that everywhere you go, every day of your life, you're wearing your colors. Because nobody should ever have to guess whose team you're on. Nobody should ever have to wonder who your Lord is and, and where your strength and where your resiliency and where your peace and your joy come from. It should be easily seen that we are the children of the Most High God and we belong to Him. And He is our Savior and our allegiance belongs to Him. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, the Apostle Paul says, Yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Now, if you read what came before that verse, the apostle was talking about persecution and distress and famine and peril and danger, tribulation. He even said, just because we are the children of God, just because we're Christians, we face certain things that other people don't face. We're, we're persecuted even because of our faith. And certainly in that time and in that culture, they were. Paul knew what it was to be thrown into prison just because he was a follower of Jesus. To be in the stocks at midnight in the deepest part of the dungeon. He knew what it was to be shipwrecked and face all kinds of dangers. There was one time that they were trying to kill him because of his faith. And he had to be lowered out of a window in a basket, if you'll remember that story, so that he could flee and continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul knew what it was like. He said, I know what it is to be without and I know what it is to have an abundance. See, he had been on both sides just because of his faith in Jesus. And yet he says, in all of these things. We're not just winners. We're more than conquerors. And that phrase, more than, actually means super and excessive above and beyond. So Paul is saying, we, we don't just win. We win big because of Jesus. We're more than conquerors because of him who loved us. I want to begin today by just simply stating the facts. Jesus is victorious. He already has come. He already has fought the fight. It was mentioned a lot around the altar this morning. He already finished the race. He already paid the price. He died on the cross on our behalf. He rose again on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And anything that's ever going to come our way, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high in the absolute place of power and authority, the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And one day, he's coming back again to receive those who belong to him into a place where 
we will rule and reign with Christ Jesus. Those are the facts, and that is the end of the story. We already know the score. Now, let me just tell you something that happened yesterday. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge Kentucky basketball fan. If you have Snapchat, you've probably already seen this story if you're a friend of my son's on Snapchat. Usually I don't like to watch any game live. I get too tied up in the game. I like to watch it after I already know the final score. Win or lose, I'm calmer if I know the outcome before I watch the game. That's how big of a fan I am. And been doing that for years, but yesterday, for whatever reason, Jonathan called and he said, hey, I'm coming over to your house. I want to watch the game with you. And I said, well, you know, you're always welcome at the house. But then I looked at Tammy and I said, I don't like to watch games live. And this is going to be a tough game anyway. We could very easily lose this game. It's probably going to be a nail-biter, and I really don't like to watch games live. But, but he came, and we watched it, and, and, and obviously we lost the game. It was not a good outcome for a Kentucky fan. And when I'm watching a game live, I talk back to the TV. I try to coach. I tell Coach Cal when he should pull a player. And yesterday I told him when he should not have put the player back in that he put in. Uh, I, I told him when he lost the momentum. I told him when he called a stupid timeout that lost the momentum to the game. You know, I, and, and my wife said, well, you should just give Coach Cal all of your knowledge because you have such basketball knowledge. I was tied up in knots, you know, just so it was. It's just, just the way it works. But there's a good thing to know. It's just one game. We've got a long season in front of us. And what matters is not what happened yesterday. Listen to me. What matters is what we do now. And see, there are some of you in a nail-biter at the moment in your life. And you're struggling. <laughs> and you're talking back to life. <laughs> and you don't know exactly. As a matter of fact, you may feel like you've already lost. But here's the good news. You're still breathing, so that means it's just one game. You say, well, I've lost quite a few games. Well, the season's not over yet because you're still here. What matters now is not what happened yesterday or over the last thousand yesterdays. What matters is what you do now. What matters is what you do going forward. Because you see, here's the difference. I would have faced yesterday a whole lot easier if I would have known the outcome ahead of time. And I would have faced it a whole lot easier if we were at the end of the season I was just, and we won the national championship and I was just going back reliving the month. You know what would have happened? I know I was going to talk about football, but instead I'm going to talk about basketball. There are certain seasons when Kentucky had a great season and we won the national championship or got really close that I bought a video highlight of the entire season. You know, with the documentary and all the talking behind it. And I delight in watching it. As a matter of fact, do you know the games I like to watch the most? The ones that we either lost or almost lost. I like to watch it at the end when we won the whole thing. As a matter of fact, I like, I would, you know what would really delight me? Is to watch a game that we lost to a team that we wound up playing again in the final 
and beating. Because I can watch the game that we lost and I can sit there with the satisfaction of knowing, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Or, you know, I could watch a game that's going into double overtime and we're down by one. If I already know how it's going to end, I could just sit back there and just say, and I've watched the fans of the other teams celebrate and come running out on the court like a game a few, few this season, thinking that they already beat us when I already know we won this thing. Just wait. Y'all might as well get back in the stands, put your celebration back up because we're going to win this thing. Can I tell you something? We win this thing. Far more important than a basketball game or even the Super Bowl, we win this thing. Because you see, the final tally's already been tallied up in heaven, and Jesus Christ is victorious, and all you've got to do is go to the last chapter of Revelation, and you find out how this thing ends. Now you say, well, right now I don't feel like I'm winning. Yeah, but it's not over yet. Well, well, well right now I just, I'm worn out, and I'm struggling to keep my head up. Yeah, but it's not over yet. Hang in there, because we already know who wins this thing. But there are some things we need to do if we want to be victorious like God intends for us to. Because God intends for us to win. He said not just are we conquerors, we're more than conquerors. If you're a sports fan, you know that there are some games, if your team is physically superior to another team, you know there are some games that should not be as close as they are even if you win. You know that there are some games that you lose that you should have won, and you wonder what happened. What went wrong? On paper, we should have won this game going away. Why was it so close? Or why did we even lose this game? Sometimes it happens because we believe our own press. And what I mean by that is we have people in our ear telling us how good we are, how great things are. Maybe we don't have somebody in our ear telling us that. We tell ourselves that. And we tend to overlook attitude problems and sins in our own life that we point out and judge in someone else's. But yet we've got somebody who's always telling us, oh, everything's all right. No reason to worry about that. That's not really a big deal. There are a lot of people doing things and saying things that are a whole lot worse than that. You're really okay. You're a good person. That attitude, don't worry about it. I see people have attitudes worse than that. I'm sure everything will be. You don't have to pay attention to that. Sometimes when, I don't matter what kind of sport people are in, if they let people get in their ear and they begin to believe that they are so good that they cannot lose to a team, they overlook a team, and that team comes ready to play. And they fight harder than the team that really should win fights, and a team winds up losing to a team that they should have won. And that happens in a Christian life many, many times. We just get lazy. We kind of, Don't look at me funny. We get lazy. I mean, there was a time when, man, we knew, if I don't pursue God with all my heart, I'm going to fall. If, if I don't spend this time in the Word of God, I know I'm going to goof up. If I'm not spending time in prayer every day, then there's no telling what kind of mess up I will make of my life. I know I've got to be in church. I know I've got to be a worshiper. I know I can't even come close to this area of sin in my life because if I get close to it, I know my tendency, and I know I'll fall to it. And there's a time in our life when we're so hungry for God and we're so aware of how dependent we are on God that we're just diligent but then there comes a time when we've walked with God for a little while and it's been a long time since we fell to that same old problem 
And it's been a long time since we really goofed up. We feel like we're doing pretty good. So we decide, oh, it won't hurt me, you know, not to really spend time in the Word today. I know I've missed four or five days in a row, but I'm doing all right. I, I, I know I haven't been in church in six weeks, but I'm doing okay. I, I know I'm not really worshiping God like I used to. I know I've got, I've got these areas of my life. I, I don't remember the last time I prayed, really prayed. But you know what? God understands I'm busy and all this kind of stuff because we think that I'm not ever going to fall again until we do. Now the Bible says, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. It says that a haughty spirit, a spirit of arrogance or pride, goes before destruction. So it's important for us not to believe. Here's, here's the press you need to believe. You need to believe what God says. But you don't necessarily to believe, need to believe all the time the voice in your own mind or the voices of others. The other thing that can cause a problem with any team is that not only do we kind of get, well, let's just say it, we get arrogant, we get proud, we get puffed up. The Bible says, don't let any man think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but let each man think soberly, realistically. But the other thing we do sometimes is we don't just listen to voices pumping us up. We listen to voices putting us down. And that can mess you up too. We're all familiar, if you're a sports fan at all, we're all familiar with trash talking. I hate trash talking. I feel like if you're a good player, prove it on the court or prove it on the field. You don't have to talk about it. The more you talk about it, the less I think you're a great player. Just prove it. Just do the job. But our enemy loves to trash talk. He loves to get in your head and get in your ear and tell you can't do that. You know you're going to mess up here. You're never going to be able to be what God's called you to be. You're never going to get better. You're never going to, you're, you, things are never going to work out in your life. You're, you're never going to get freedom over this area of your life. You're never going to really be close to God like everybody else. Oh yeah, this person talks about how much God talks to them, but you know God's not going to talk to you because you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not faithful enough. You see, it goes both ways. We don't need to be puffed up, but we also don't need to let the enemy put us down. We don't need to let the enemy get into our mind. There are some teams who have lost the game before they ever walk onto the field or the court because they walk into a great big building or a, or a really nice football field that has all kinds of tradition where they're big, big winners and everybody knows it and they just feel like this, they're this little team from nowhere and they know all the athletes' names that's on this team, and nobody knows their name. They know their coach because they're famous, but nobody knows their coach. And before you know it, before they ever start the game, they've already lost because they're intimidated. But you know the stories that we love, especially if you're a sports fan? You love the stories of the little Davids who defeat the Goliaths. You love the stories of the teams that come in out of nowhere and shouldn't even be on the same court or on the same field, but not only do they compete, they pull it off and they win. And let me tell you how they do that. They don't allow themselves to be intimidated. When they come onto the field or onto the court, they understand, they believe that their coach has the right plan. 
They believe that their coaching staff has prepared them the right way. They trust in their conditioning. They trust in their game plan. And they trust in their ability. They believe that the opposing team is just as human as they are. And if they fight harder and if they work harder, they have every opportunity to win whatever game it is. We not only don't need to get puffed up, but we don't need to ever be intimidated by the words that the enemy pumps into our mind. Let me tell you the words you need to remember. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord. Plans of good, not evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Do you know what that tells me? My future has hope. And number one, I have a future. Might as well start there. Some of you need to know that. It's not over. But I lost my job. It's not over. But my marriage is falling apart. It's not over. But you haven't seen the bills that are piled up on me. It's still not over. But you didn't hear the doctor's report. It's still not over. You have a future. And because you have a Savior, your future has hope. And what we need to believe is God's word over our life. Nothing that the enemy says and not even what other people say. Even well-meaning people. Boy, they can shoot you down in a heartbeat. One of the worst things you can ever hear sometimes if you get a plan from God is, I just need to share my concerns with you. I'm concerned that you're going to get your hopes up. I've always wondered, why is it so bad to get your hopes up? Oh, we know the answer to that, right? Because they might be crushed. Yeah, but they might not. Oh, I know you, Pastor. I know who you are. You're one of those positive thinking people. I might as well leave now. I don't, like, I don't believe you can create your future with your words. Well, I don't either. But I believe the future's already been created by God's Word. And here's my thought about it. I, I would always rather be a positive thinker than a negative one. You know, we put all this negativity to somebody who's about positive thinking. But listen, when did negative thinking ever get you anywhere? I'm not one of the power of positive thinking people, but I do believe that we should have faith in God's Word. And I believe it's far better for us to look at what God said over our life than to listen to all the other dissenting voices, including the enemies, that are telling us that we can't and we won't and we never will. I'm I don't believe you. Pastor, do you think you can just be anything? No. I'm not going to ever be an astronaut. Wasn't in the cards for me. I don't like math. Well, if you would have tried hard enough, no, I would have never been an astronaut. Never would have been a biology teacher or a chemistry teacher or a chemist or any of that. Do you know why? Because it all requires math. And when it has math in it, I'm done. Thank the Lord for calculators. I'm so thankful that our teachers were wrong. You can't use calculators. What's going to happen when you can't get to a calculator? You'll never, you won't always have a calculator. Praise the Lord. That's one thing about technology that I'm happy with. Calculators in my hand all the time. Now, I don't think you can do anything just because you think you can. There are some, but I do think this. 
I think God has a plan for every person. And I think the plan for your life is so much better and bigger than you could ever dream. And I think anything within the plan of God for your life, you can do no matter how hard it is if you trust God. But you can't let the enemy get in your ear. Because if the enemy gets in your ear, he will intimidate you. And if he intimidates you, you will lose the battle before you ever get on the field. If we're going to see the victory of God in our life, we've got to believe the words of God over our life. But there's something else we have to do. We have to study the game plan. We have to know the word of God. Paul said to Timothy, his young son in the faith, he said, study to show yourself approved. A workman that diligently understands and knows the word of God. Study, study, study. I'm so glad you're here today. I hope you come back next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. It's so important for us to be together and hear the Word of God taught and preached. I, I think it's great if you listen to Christian podcasts. I think it's great if you, if, you, if you listen to preachers at home. I think it's great if you read Christian books, but there is no, and I'm going to say this very clearly, there is no, zero, there is no substitute for you personally studying the Word of God. No matter how many preachers you love and listen to, there is no substitute for you personally studying and knowing God's Word. The greatest weapon you have against the enemy. As a matter of fact, the only offensive weapon you have is the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the Word of God. What Jesus himself used in the wilderness when he was tempted face-to-face by Satan was the Word of God. He said, tempted three times, three times he answered, it is written It is written, it is written. I'm telling you, if you want to defeat the enemy of your life, you've got to know God's word because it's in God's word that you find not only your value, not only God's word over you, but you find your power to defeat the enemy. The game plan for our life is sure. If we will follow it, there isn't even a question about whether we win. But this is it, and you have to know it. It's not enough that your preacher knows it. It's not enough that your grandparents know it. It's not enough that your parents know it. It's not enough that your best friend who's a good Christian knows it or your favorite Christian author knows it. You can benefit from that, but you have to know it. Because, you see, here's the thing. When the enemy shows up to whisper in your ear at 3 in the morning, you're not going to be able to get your preacher or your favorite Christian author or even probably your best friend you need to know the Word of God. What if we say, well, I can call them. Well, what if you can't reach them? You need to know the Word of God. You need to know the game plan because God has one. And it's perfect. But you have to study it, and I have to study it if we're going to win. Next thing, if we're going to win, if we're going to be victorious, is something we don't like. You know what? I love to listen to Steve play the keys. I like to listen to the guys play the guitars. I love to listen to my son play the drums. And every time I do, I always think this thought. If I would have known when I was a kid that I was going to, for two decades, lead worship, I would have learned to play an instrument. And then I think of the piano lessons that my mom paid for for a year that I hated. I think of the piano recital that I miserably failed at and begged my parents, don't ever make me go back for lessons again. And they didn't. And I think of the guitar that I wanted that my parents bought me for Christmas one year. 
and the friend who showed me how to do some chords and how I still have the sheet of the paper with the chords in a drawer somewhere that I could probably find if I looked hard. But I don't have a guitar anymore. Why didn't you learn? Because of one word. Practice. There are always other things to do that seem more important. I didn't have time to practice because the ball game was on. I didn't have time to practice because my favorite TV show was on. I didn't have time to practice because my friends were doing something. I didn't have time to practice because I wanted to sleep in. I didn't have time to practice because practice is work. There's nothing fun about practice. Now, it might be once you really know what you're doing, but there's nothing fun about practice. But if we are going to be victorious, we have to practice, practice, practice. And do you know where your practice is? Life. As a child of God, you study the Word of God, and then God puts you into a situation to use it. And we complain, just like we do about practice. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, this is not fun. God, why did you do this to me? I gave you the game plan. You studied it. Now you, to, to really, I want you to understand it works. See, that's the thing. We want to be an army as long as we never have to fight anybody. We just don't want to train. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool? Anybody who's a former military in here, you know, there's a reason I didn't join the military. I'm as patriotic as the next guy. I really appreciate uh, everything the military does, honor every sacrifice they have. But my brother, see, he was in the National Guard, and there's something I know about military from him when I was a kid. There's something called basic training. And they ran my brother so hard, his lung collapsed in Fort Benning, Georgia. And you see, when I found that out, I'm like, uh, no, mm, no, mm, no. <laughs> so, aren't you thankful that some people are willing to be disciplined enough so that they could defend us, right? And that's the way most of our Christian warriors feel too. Thank God for the prayer warriors. Boy, I thank you, God, for the intercessors because I don't know what I'd do without them. Oh, I'm thankful, God, for those Christian warriors because I need them to fight for me. Why? Because, you see, if I'm going to learn to fight for myself, I'm going to have to have some basic training. It's going to take some getting up early and some staying up late and some running until you think you're going to collapse, crawling through some things that you didn't want to crawl through and crawling over some things that you didn't want to crawl over. And as a matter of fact, when you actually get involved in this, it's going to be dangerous at places, and you're going to feel like you're going to die every once in a while. But the bottom line is you're not going to die because you've got somebody who's over you that's watching you every step. And sometimes, sometimes you may think about your Heavenly Father. I don't know if He really cares about me or not. If He really cared about me, He wouldn't let me walk through this. He wouldn't let me experience that, and I wouldn't be there. And yet, at the end of the day, anybody who survived the military, they'll understand there was a time when they thought their drill sergeant hated them. And they probably didn't like them very much either until they came to the end of it. And they came out and they realized that they had discipline they had never had before and they had strength that they had never had before and they had skills that they had never had before and they had confidence that they had never had before and they really believed and they really could if they were faced with a battle, they knew what to do and they knew that they could win and thank God in the physical realm for those who will do that and yet they found out many of them wind up not 
not just not hating those instructors, but respecting them. Because they knew that even though at the moment what they were going through was unpleasant, there was a purpose. And they were watched over the whole time. They knew exactly when to say, enough. And I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to be victorious, we're going to have to be disciplined. I know we don't like that word. It's not fun. But it's necessary. If we're going to be victorious, there has to be that place of taking what we've learned in the Word of God. Okay, I believe, God, that you are a powerful God and your plan for me is good and no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Thank you, God. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And here we have a battle and there's a weapon and what do we do? God, what are you doing? Why doesn't your Word work? The Word didn't say that you would never have a weapon formed against you. It just said the weapon will not prosper. So now God's given you an opportunity to take the word that you've studied, put it into practice in the realm of your life to see, not to be defeated, but to see that it works. The word works. The Bible says, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. So all of a sudden, fear hits us. It's like, why am I so afraid? Because you just studied. When I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. You studied it. Now you get a chance to practice. What? God, what do you want me to do? Trust in him. Why, God? Just because you want me to feel what fear feels like? No, because he wants you to feel what victory feels like. Because now fear has attached you, but he said, when I'm afraid, I will trust in him. Now do what you studied. I'm afraid right now. So God, I'm going to trust in you. So you begin to trust, and guess what happens? Fear begins to lose its hold. And what did you find out? This works. Practice, practice, practice. But there's something else we need to know. We also have to stay in shape, and some of that is on our own. I don't care how much you practice and how good you coach and what your game plan is. <laughs> if you go out and if you're an athlete and you eat double cheeseburgers and hot fudge sundaes five times a day, and instead of going to the gym early on your own time to practice your shots and stuff like that, you sleep in. Guess what? I don't care how talented you are. Little by little by little, other people are going to overtake you, and you're going to find that you're slipping down. On the, before you know it, you're going to be on the bench. Before you know it, you're going to be looking for another place to play. Before you know it, everybody's going to forget. Now, I realize that's not completely true when it relates to the spiritual realm, but it is true that we have to stay in shape. That means that there are certain things. You know, the Apostle Paul says that because we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh because the flesh, he said, wars against the Spirit. There's a war going on in our lives. And the Spirit against the flesh. And then he makes this statement. So that you cannot, listen, you cannot do the things that you desire. <laughs> oh, here, 2020, all of us Christians, something we don't hear very much. Sometimes you have to say no to yourself. If you are going to walk in victory... There are going to be some things that you're going to have to rise up and say, I really want to do this, but I will not because it's not constructive in my life. I refuse to do that because I need to stay fit for battle. I'm not going to, in the spiritual equivalent, I'm not going to eat the double cheeseburger and the ice cream sundae today because I've got a game I've got to play tonight. I've got to stay fit. So how does that translate in the spiritual realm? One, two different ways. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to get up and I'm going to study. I'd rather sleep, but I'm not. I'm going to get up and I'm going to study God's word today. It's going to become a priority in my life. Everything else falls behind that, not ahead of that. I'm going to put God in first place and let everything else fill its way out because it's necessary. Secondly, this area of my life, this attitude, this conversation, this movie, this music, this that I'm on is not constructive to my growth in Christ. And no matter how much I want to do it, I'm going to say no because I have to stay fit because I don't know what battle's coming tomorrow. We have to stay in shape. Coach can't do that for us. As good as our coach is, he gives us a choice. And if we're going to be victorious, we have to stay in shape and we have to stay together. You know one of the quickest ways for even a good team to lose whatever the game is? is for somebody to go on their own playbook. Happens all the time in basketball, especially college ball, or even high school ball. College scouts are in the stands. NBA scouts are in the stands. Good ball player decides, whew, this is my night to shine. So they forget about everybody else. They forget they've got anybody else on their team. They're hoping to get 30, 40 points tonight. 20 rebounds, 10 steals, and 10 assists. Problem is, instead of letting the game come to them, they're forcing it because the game has stopped being about their team and it started being about themselves. And so in trying to force things to be their way, they wind up making mistakes that they would not normally make. They wind up doing things that they don't normally do. And instead of looking better, they look worse. But the worst part about it and in my opinion, it happened yesterday, the team loses a game. See, we're part of a team. Can I tell you something? You can't do this by yourself. I know that's a revelation for some of you, but you can't. You need me and I need you. We need the body of Christ. Well, I don't like other Christians. Well, welcome to the club. Well, I get annoyed by other people. I could write a book on some of the conversations I've come in that people don't know I'm around when they're talking. Used to have a prayer room in that other church up there. I'll just tell you this little story. Used to have a prayer room in that other church up there when I first started pastoring here. It was behind the baptistry. I'd go in and shut the door while everybody's having Sunday school. So one morning, a couple of ladies came in late, sat in the back pew. They were talking kind of loud. I was a new pastor, and they weren't real happy with me. So they were talking about everything that I was doing wrong, couldn't believe that I was ever voted in as pastor here and all that stuff. Had no idea I was in the back room. Well, were you still praying? I have to admit I'm human enough. I stopped praying and started listening. <laughs> and I was left with a decision right then. What are you going to do? And I overcame the desire to be angry because another desire came on me that still wasn't any better. I walked out with a big smile on my face and pronounced myself, Oh, hello, I'm so glad to see you, and went by immediately to shake their hands so that they would know I heard every word they said. You should have seen their faces. <laughs> now, she lets me know to my face what I need, you know. So it's easy to get upset. It's easy to be annoyed. 
If I have ever offended you, I'm, I'm going to get very real here. If I have ever offended you in any way, form, or fashion, I promise you it was unintended. If I have ever failed you in any way, form, or fashion, I promise you it was unintended. I probably didn't even know it. Why? Because you're so good? No, <laughs> because I'm so human. I mess up. I hope you'll give me grace. And let me extend that same grace to you if you ever fail me or annoy me or whatever the case may be. Do you know why? Because we need each other. We're a team. I can't win this by myself. And neither can you. We need the family of God. That's why the Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together with the saints and even more as you see the day approaching. It talks about how we're our brother's keeper, and how we're together in this thing as an army connected with one another. How do we should love one another and bear each other's burdens. Why? Because we need each other. Do you know, here's the thing. I don't care what the sport is, and I wasn't. I wasn't very athletic. I dreamed that I was. In my own mind, I was, but I wasn't. I wanted to play football for the Dallas Cowboys really bad, but I wasn't, you know, I never did, never played it at all. But in my mind, I was a better running back than Tony Dorsett, my friend who will recognize that name. And I was a better quarterback than Troy Aikman. In my mind. In my mind. But, you know, even if it were true and I was a great quarterback or a great running back, I would not go anywhere without a great offensive line. And I don't care how good of a point guard or forward I might be in the basketball court. You need that center. And you need the shooting guard. Boy, some days we really need that shooting guard. A consistent shooting guard. <laughs> don't understand why we can't go get a consistent shooting guard. Because we need them. Some games more than others. Yesterday we needed a center and couldn't find one anywhere. <laughs> Makes a difference, doesn't it? See, we can all celebrate whoever it is, the point guard. Oh, he's the greatest point guard ever, but you take the center away and him act like he didn't even show up for the game and should have stayed back at Rupp Arena. Ate ice cream, which I think he might have been doing the night before. I'm not sure. It don't matter how good that point guard is, he's going to be turning it over about 23 times in the ball game because he can't get it into the center because he ain't looking. He throws the pass and he's over here. You understand? No, I'm not, ups I'm not upset at all. Not at all. It doesn't bother me a bit. It doesn't bother me a bit. <laughs> Maybe. But do you understand, though? We need each other. I have gifts that God gave me that are different than the gifts you have, and you have gifts that God gave you that are different than the gifts I have. And you see, there are going to be times when you're going to be in a situation that my gift will work, and there are going to be times when I'm going to be in a situation that your gift will work. If you're married, get ready. That's how God puts you together. You have strengths that your mate is weak in, and your mate has strengths that you are weak in, and if you won't find each other on it, but you will celebrate those differences, you'll find that marriage works. See, that's the way God designed this thing to work. 
We need each other. We're a team. You cannot do it alone, no matter how talented you think you are. I'm almost done. Those of you who don't like sports, just hang on. But like I said as we began, I'm going to go back to Scripture. I promise that too. I've got something to take you to in a moment as we close. No matter how bad you lose a game, you always need to remember that it's just one game, the season's not over, and you need to bounce back. See, we've all lost in this war, a battle. I can name quite a few that I've lost. Reacted wrong, didn't seek God like I should have, let unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart for too long, got puffed up in my own pride and stopped seeking God like I should. You did that, Pastor? Well, yeah, I have. I bet you have too. I've lost some battles, but the war's not over yet. And I win this war, but there's something I really need to do. I need to stop thinking about yesterday, whether it was good or bad. And I need to put my focus on what God's doing in my life right now. And I need to submit myself to everything that He wants in me right now so that the next time I hit the floor or the field or the battleground, I can win. Because that's God's desire for me and God's desire for you. You've got to let yesterday go. You've got to let your past go. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by people in this room. Some of you might have been hurt unwittingly by me. Something I said or maybe didn't say that you really thought I should have. Some of you have been hurt by your family, hurt by your friends. You've lost some ground over it. Now, you can either decide that you're going to stay there because you can't marshal the strength to even believe that tomorrow could be better. Or you can dare to believe that God has something better for you and you can get up today and say, I may have lost yesterday, but I'm not losing tomorrow. I believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I trust that God loves me more than I could ever begin to imagine. And I don't have to understand everything about what happened yesterday. But what I do have to do is submit myself to God today. And I'm going to do that starting now. If you do that, then you're on your way to victory. You're on your way to come back. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to close out in Hebrews 11 and 12. Don't worry, I'm not going to read both chapters in full. Just a few verses there. Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, Hebrews 11 is the great chapter of faith. It lists so many of our Old Testament heroes who accomplished so much and God used in so many powerful ways. But there's a scripture tucked into the middle of Hebrews 11 in verse 13. Talking about all the heroes of faith he had listed so far, which had included Noah and Abraham and Enoch and others. But in verse 13 it says, These all, every single one of them, died in faith. Notice this little phrase. It's important. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, 
and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that place, that country from which they had come out, then they would have had an opportunity to go back there. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Notice all these great heroes who had done so much and went through so much. Read about their lives in the Old Testament. It wasn't all easy. They had their ups and their downs, their victories and their defeats. Some of their victories were great victories, but some of their defeats were great defeats. And yet it says all of these great saints died in faith, so they never they stood in faith. They believed God. They did it right. And yet they never received the promise. Otherwise, what they were hoping for never was fully in their hands. That doesn't mean they didn't see great victory because they did. Abraham had a child that was a miraculous child. Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Noah got his family on the boat when everybody else was flooded out. We could name all the victories that they had. But as far as the fullness of what God called them, they never received that, but they never stopped believing. As a matter of fact, it says they looked afar off at the promise of God and they believed it. Not only did they believe it, they embraced it. And by doing that, they made a declaration about their lives that this is not my home. I don't really belong here. I'm just a temporary resident in this place. My home is somewhere else and that's what I'm living for. I'm not living for a legacy that somebody on earth marks down and says, oh, he was a good man, or oh, he was a gr- that was a great lady, great mother, great father. That's all wonderful, but that's not the legacy I'm living for. I have a home and a Savior. Here's the legacy I'm living for. One day, I'm going to stand before my king. He's going to look in my eyes, and he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. And that's not going to happen because I was a great preacher or a great pastor or because I was perfect or because I never messed up or because I never failed because I will never be that good. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough on myself. I'm not good enough. It'll be because I did what they did. If it happens, it's going to be because from afar off, I embraced the promise of God. And no matter what happened in this temporary life, I knew it was temporary, and I'm not living for the temporary life. I'm not living for the temporary home. I'm living for an eternal home. I'm not living for your blessing. I'm living for the blessing of my Father so that one day he'll say to me, well done, welcome home. That's my prize. That's my Super Bowl victory. That's my national championship. That's what I'm looking for. And I won't do that because of what I've done. I'll do that because of what he's done for me. And you see, here's the thing. I really genuinely believe that. And therefore, when I get knocked down, and I do sometimes, sometimes I don't have to be knocked down. I just fall on my own. Did y'all see that thing with the guy who found out his Rolex watch was worth way more money than he thought, and he just... That was fake, you know. He did not actually pass out, I don't think. But sometimes that's like me. The enemy comes calling and says, boo, and I go, oh. <laughs> Here's a sad fact about most of us. The devil doesn't really have to work that hard. We, we just kind of take our own selves out of the game half the time. I've done that too. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how many times I've been knocked out or been taking my own self out. It's how many times I get back up. The Bible says that a righteous man may fall up to seven times, but 
Seven times he shall arise. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many, not a few, many. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation or trouble. But be of good cheer because I've overcome this world. You see, if I believe that and I embrace that, it don't matter how many times I get knocked down or how hard things get, because of what I see ahead of me, I'll just keep walking. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Some days I walk a little faster than others. Some days it's a real slow progress. <laughs> Some days it's like you feel like you've you got chains around your feet and you're just barely making progress. But I don't care if your progress is slow. It's still progress. You got to stay in the game. Have you ever watched any type of game at all where the other team ran up the score and, it, I mean, they got way ahead of a team? And you see the team that's being beaten so bad and you look at their demeanor on the court or the field and you see their shoulders slump and they're not coming out with any energy and it's almost like they've already decided, well, this is over, there's no sense in fighting. We've all seen that, but we've also all seen those really rare games where somebody gets really way behind and everybody, have you ever left, I did this a long time ago with a ball game. Kentucky got behind in a basketball game and I was at somebody's house watching it and they got behind by almost 30 some odd points in the second half. If you're a Kentucky fan, you know exactly what game I'm talking about. And I decided, well, they ain't going to win this game. So I got up and I left and I was driving home. I didn't even listen to the radio. I was so frustrated. I was lost another game. Pulled in the parking lot and said, okay, I'll see how bad they lost. Turned it on and they're still playing. And lo and behold, they were 30-something points behind. Now they're just a point or two behind and we got the ball. And I whoa, what's going on? And we hit a three. And we win the ball game. Greatest comeback and one of the one of the greatest comebacks in college basketball history, and I missed it because I left too quick. Because I thought there's no chance. Do you know why we came back? Because the players on that team decided we're still in this game. I know we're down by 30 in the second half, but we're still in this game. So let's keep doing what we do. Let's keep doing, let's keep fighting. Let's keep playing defense. And that's exactly what they did. And they came back and almost pulled off what many people would say was an impossible feat. You've all seen and heard of that. Matter of fact, they make movies about stuff like that. Because it, why? Why? It's so rare. Because most people, when we get behind, we give up. Some of you are about to do that. You're at a point where you feel so far behind and so far out of the ballgame, you're about to quit. Because you don't think there's any hope. Why keep fighting? Why keep trying? Why keep struggling? There's no way. Stay in this. Keep your shoulders straight. Follow the game plan. Don't quit. We serve the greatest comeback God there's ever been. <laughs> One Friday afternoon, all of hell thought this was over because Jesus was dead. And for three days, he was in a grave. And I guarantee you, they were celebrating on the home court of hell until Sunday morning. 
when Jesus got up. And that's the Savior you serve. Why would you think you can't come back when he had the greatest comeback of all? Well, I'm not like him. Oh, really? The Bible says we're supposed to be like him. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that he's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. That means you've got his DNA in you now. You're not just who you used to be. If you're a Christian, you have the very power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. Resurrection power lives inside of us. There's nothing. I don't care if you think this is over. No, it's not. Not unless you quit. Not unless you throw in the towel and get on the bus and go home. Then it's over. But if you'll stay in the game, if you'll stay in the fight, it's not over. One last verse and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <laughs> My son played basketball. And sometimes I trusted his coach and sometimes I didn't. I tried to be a good dad in the stands. Almost got thrown out of one game. Referee just had lost his mind. It was a problem. <laughs> Laura was at the game and Laura was saying all kinds of things to the referee and the referee thought it was me so he came to... <laughs> came and threatened to throw me out. Just a teenage high school boy came threatened to throw me out. Good old pastor, wax bold and strong, and I everything in me said, when you think you're big enough, you just, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> oh, but I wanted to. You trust me, I wanted to real bad. But I tried to be a good dad in the fans. Sometimes I watched the plays that would come in from the sidelines. I think, I wouldn't have done that. But I was a good dad in the stands. I didn't say much until he did it six times. It failed every time. And then I kind of quietly from the stands where just nobody but somebody beside me could say, that's a stupid play. You know what one of the worst things you can do is try to coach from the sidelines. And you know what one of the biggest mistakes you can make is? Not trust our coach. Because I'm going to tell you something. I might have been right about a few things. Because, see, all of us are human and we can make mistakes. Our coach yesterday still may have called a stupid timeout, and I might have been right about that. We'll find out someday, maybe. But that's okay because none of that really matters because, you see, even our coach is fallible. He's a human being. But let me tell you something. Jesus never makes a mistake. He knows exactly what he's doing, and everything he tells you to do is right. And when you read that book, you can trust his game plan. You can trust his purpose. And let me tell you something else. You can trust his heart over you. 
You see, Jesus has already proven that he loves you so much he would bleed and die for you. Jesus has already proven that he loves you so much that there's nothing he will not do and nothing he will hold back. And Romans tells us if he gave up his own son for us all, how will he not also with and through him freely give us all things? And he's not just talking about giving you boats and cars and cruises and and second homes and vacation. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about giving you everything that you need to face the life that he gives you so that you can be who he's called you to be. And the Bible says we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, why don't I experience it? Because how often are you hanging out in heavenly places? You see, you can't appropriate the blessings that are stored up for you in heavenly places if you never show up in those heavenly places. But if you're willing to go into those heavenly places, then you can appropriate some of the spiritual blessings that God already has for you so that you can be what God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do. And when we come out of these things, we will find out that, nay, in all these things, I've suffered some, you can say, I've suffered some heartbreak. I've suffered battles. I've been defeated. I've suffered loss. I've been through places that I don't even know yet to this day how I'm going to put it all together. But yet, in all of these things, I am more than a conqueror because he never stopped loving me. And no matter how bad it looked and no matter how many times I thought I was out of it and the game was over, at just the right moment, at just the right time, my king would show up with just the right word, just the right plan, just the right blessing. You experienced that when you needed it the most? Oh, you thought you needed it yesterday, but you, you made it through yesterday, but today is when you really needed it, and all of a sudden, just the right thing. I'm going to close with this thought. I said it on the air, but when my dad died back in October, nobody expected that. and I got the call while I was on the air, and got in the car and started driving as fast as I could safely as fast as I could maybe semi-safely as fast as I could towards Paducah got there and of course by the time we left the hospital dad was gone we'd been there most of the day and of course Tammy and I drove separate because she was at work and I was at work so we had to drive I had to go get my car and I had our praise and worship station on Thrive was on the radio and it was, I just I always leave it on so that when I turn the key on immediately, you know, that's what comes on in place. And so when I got in the car and I turned the key on, coming out of the hospital, a song starts playing. And it happens to be at the very perfect place. On days like these. Anybody heard that song? It was almost as if God had planned not only the perfect song, but the perfect spot in the song for when I turned the key. And it reminded me that even on my worst days, on the days I don't understand, God is faithful. On days like these, you are faithful. On days like these. See, I believe that with everything in me. So no matter how tired I am, no matter how upside down the score seems to be, 
when the coach calls my name, I'm getting up and getting off the bench. And I'm going to do everything I can with all the strength I can to help my team win this thing. And isn't that funny? Unlike any other sport, this is the funniest thing. Basketball and football, you really do see the players. They help because, see, coach can't play the game. But in our walk with Christ, it's a little different. We think we're doing so much, and quite frankly, we couldn't do anything that he didn't anoint us and equip us to do. So when we get to the end of our day, oh, God, I was able to do this. He kind of looks at us and says, yeah, how were you able to do that? Oh, well, at just the right moment, you gave me the plan. At just the right moment, you gave me the wisdom. At just the right moment, you gave me the anointing. At just the right moment, you gave me the strength. So who did that? So who won this thing? Jesus won it a long, long time ago. (laughs) My dream come true. Kentucky basketball coach calls me and says, Hey, I hear you're a fan. Yeah, I am all my life. Since second grade, watched every game. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you get on the court in the next game, play the game. You don't have to do anything because, see, we've already mapped it out. Every, everything that's going to happen is already, already scored. All you've got to do is get on there the court and do what it takes. But you can put on the uniform and you can play the game. Your name can go in the books. Matter of fact, I've got a play designed just for you. At the end of the game, we're going to clear a path out and we're going to get the ball to you and you're going to shoot it. And if you miss it, that great sinner who didn't do anything yesterday is going to be under the goal and do something that day and he's going to get the rebound that he couldn't get yesterday and he's going to get back to you. And you're going to shoot it again. Matter of fact, you're going to shoot it until you hit it and then I'm taking you out of the game and we're going to put it in the books and everybody's going to think, man, look what he did. And I'd say, sign me up, coach. But wouldn't it be stupid of me to think that I really did anything? But wouldn't it be wonderful to get the chance to do that? Well, we all have. Because you see, we're not really doing anything. Jesus has already done it. But he's given us the privilege to get on the field. And he's called a play and marked it out just for us. And he's become our defender. And if we... (laughs) And we will, when we miss the shot 33 times, he keeps throwing it back and says, try it again. And then we score and all the sideline erupts and celebrates like we had done something great because we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. In all the grandstands of heaven, Celebrating every little victory that Jesus won for us. But we let him. Finally, we run with endurance the race. Some of you need some endurance because you're in a tough spot. And you're wanting to give give in and give out. Don't do it. Don't do it. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would take what may seem to some to be just a silly illustration, but yet I believe you sent it to me. Lord, you would take these words through your Spirit, transform them 
and plant them in our hearts so that we, in our war, war that we're in, in our battle that we're in, that we would be encouraged to not quit, that we'd be encouraged to hope a little longer, to try one more time, to get up when it's easier sometimes just to stay down, to fight, knowing that you've already won. God, I just pray that across this room, not only would encouragement come, but wisdom would come and peace would come and hope would come. And Lord, that we would trust you because we know that your plan for us truly is good. And no matter what we're facing in all these things, not outside of them, we don't have to be in perfect conditions and perfect places to have victory in these things, in the hard stuff. We're still more than conquerors because you love us. It's through you, God. Help us to believe that with everything in us. Help us to live not for anybody else's approval, but yours. I ask that in Jesus' name.